0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. A couple of ways to get a hold of them. You can check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Or you can call right now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And that's 905-529-7165. Good morning, gentlemen. Good Good to see you. Oh, we got that tax thing hanging over our head here. Almost Uh, here, aren't we? 10 10 things the tax man could shake you down for?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. There's lots of them. And it's kind of interesting. These are kind of like the top 10. And these come from conversations with several tax professionals from a list published by the Canadian Revenue Agency and from making the most common mistakes Canadians are making when filing their income tax. So let's start with number one. And doesn't these are in no particular order, hmm. but employment expenses. And I know, Scott, we were talking just off air about that nice form, the T2200. Yes. And it's, uh, it's a very common one. It's one that people often kind of last minute are putting it together. And a lot of times people are trying to claim things that simply they cannot claim. And a perfect example are like briefcases hmm. or calculators. So you've got to make Close. sure clothes, yeah, clothes. Now, unless <laughs> unless you have your own brand dry on cleaning. your clothes, yeah, yeah, dry cleaning is one you cannot claim. So even though you have this T twenty two hundred, doesn't mean you can claim everything. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly, certain, uh, I guess a. Normal employment costs of working—sure, going to the office—you cannot claim the gas to get to the office. Can't claim your transportation. Right? Yeah. No, unless you have to make visit visit yeah. visitations You're using to a your different car. place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and more importantly, you have to keep receipts to support any eligible mm-hmm. deductions. So, there is an army of tax people out there these days. They are—I um, think the government is hiring more and more of them yeah. to go after, you know different p- potential ways mm-hmm. of getting more money. How do
0: they decide who to pick and who not to pick? Is it an amount? Is it an occupation? Are there red flags that shoot up?
1: Well, these top 10 mm-hmm. is one thing. These right. are common ones. So the thing is that we're filing everything. Is There's no paper being filed anymore. Yeah. So when you send these forms in yeah. with no receipts to back it up, mm-hmm. they think, okay, I'm going to check on this one because this is usually one we can get people on. Yeah. And so then you've got to keep those receipts. See, I, for me, and I think Andy mentioned this in the last show, it's kind of nice to have your receipts or send the paper. If, you're, if you think there's certain things that, uh, for example, a large charitable deduction, you may want to send the receipt anyway because they, they may go after it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number two is carrying charges. You may be able to deduct certain costs related to earning income, such as making investment income, investment. Um, so interest costs. Uh, for example, um, when you borrow money to invest, those are tax deductible. Investment counseling fees. So our advisory fees that show up on our statements for non-registered investments only right. are tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot deduct, and I know it shows up on the statement. It will. It can show up that this is for the advisory cost for registered investments. People put those on. They can't claim that part. No
2: TFSA of or RSP fees. The other one, accounting count, uh, fees or tax preparation fees too.
1: Ta- they, they are uh, deductible. And that was the next one. What are you, really? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Those are tax deductible.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, you write that one down, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> do the
0: people who are doing this know that?
1: Yeah. I I think they do. I'm hmm. hoping they do. So. Uh,
0: would they include that? I would hope they would. They would just do that anyway, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. I would hope they would. So,
1: but it's a good check.
0: Yeah. You know, make, make sure they're honest. Send me a receipt so I can give it back to you. <laughs> exactly.
1: Can you mail me that receipt? I'll bring it back. Yeah. Um things that you cannot deduct, and one that's been gone for a while now is the safety deposit box. That was under the carrying charge area of the tax return before, and one of the governments um, about four or five years ago mm. got rid of that. But it's one of those ones I think people still think you can deduct, mm. and... You can't. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you put it in there, you're not going to get it, and you will get that uh, not would not be allowable.
0: What happens if you put something down like this, and it's not acceptable? They'll just reject it, or yeah. does that trigger an audit or
2: something? You'll have a, uh, a reassessment. Mm-hmm. So it may be... Uh, well, you know, what happens is sometimes it just slides under the radar Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, you get it back and you don't even think about it. You're looking at your uh, assessment and it, everything was status quo. Mm-hmm. And then you might find out three months later, we're reassessing you. Mm-hmm. We've done a, a, an audit and we've discovered that you've deducted a safety deposit box fee or right. provide us receipts for that area. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have enough or they don't qualify, then you would be reassessed. Right.
1: And a couple other ones. The the actual commissions to buy and sell investments are not tax deductible, but they do come off your cost base, so they will result in less of a capital gain when you do sell those securities. Mm -hmm. Okay. But again, for non-registered, that only applies to non-registered money. Number three is moving expenses. This is one that people are getting nailed on all the time, Mm. and they will check up on this one. So you may as well keep every receipt you can. CRA checks moving expenses regularly because folks deduct ineligible costs all the time. It, they, they'll, they'll try to put in home staging. Okay, you can't deduct that. Home hunting costs, can't deduct it. Um, job hunting costs, can't do that either.
0: Well, no, it says moving.
1: Exactly. <laughs> People will put all sorts <laughs> That's not part of the moving. Cost of repairing the old home.
0: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Wish we could use that one. They're very
1: innovative, um, lots of creativity. But you cannot claim it. And this one raises a red flag all the time. So keep your receipts. Um, and it, unfortunately, a lot of people fail to keep these receipts, probably because they lost them while they're moving. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you do have to move to your new home. It has to be 40 kilometers closest. And this has to be the shortest usual public route. OK, you cannot draw a line that this is the way I normally get mm, to work. Mm. And it's and it happens to go to 41 kilometers. <laughs> Have to go through the drive the, through the spaghetti <laughs> route. <laughs> yeah, <The> spaghetti <laughs> route. No, it has to be the normal route you, that makes sense. And this is for a new work location. So you're close to work or school. Mm-hmm. Students, yeah. Students. Mm-hmm.
2: students. Yep. OK,
1: so number four, medical expenses. Um, you can't claim claims certain costs of pratici- practitioners not recognized for... That particular provincial authority. For example, you can't claim vitamins. Right. Okay.
2: Supplements and that type of stuff. Supplements are
1: right in there. To over-the-counter drugs, can't claim aspirin, for example. Right. Okay. Um, Or Tylenol. You uh, recliners. You can't reclaim your even though it's really good for you. Or maybe even a hot tub. Wow. Okay. You can't claim those rubbing alcohol bandages. Heating pad. Uh, you can't do that either. Shoe, shoe inserts, <laughs> you can't either. But if they were done by the, yeah, a proper doctor, yeah, yes. Yeah. But then they also cost about $300. Orthotics versus, yeah. orthotics versus yeah. about 20 bucks. So people have tried those things. They don't work. Um, charitable donations. This is amazing how many people don't have valid donation receipts for donors they, for donations they claim. And CRA knows this and loves to ask for those receipts. So this usually comes up if there's a, a bumper crop of of a donation. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting there and and year after year you donate say four hundred dollars every year mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's ten four, grand, ten grand. <laughs> yeah. so, wow, something's odd here, yeah. and that will definitely raise a red flag. And this comes back in the old days when there used to be these sh- these tax shelters where they used to have um, deals in the for. Putting money, a strategy using donations on the tax, so you'd gift money, and they'd they'd say, "Well, that piece of, you know, that town." Um, quite often, it was like a they used a to have prescription. Property.
2: They used to have pre- prescription drugs where you know you you could donate, for example, if you bought a thousand dollars worth of medications that were then going to be donated to a third world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to help whatever um, cause there is, but they would then. Uh, inflate the market price of those oh, right. those drugs yeah. to what the street would pay mm. and so your $1,000 suddenly turns into a, a $3,000 receipt right. and those uh, those got put through <laughs> got put through the audit for sure mm. and lots of people ended up getting getting stung on that
1: yeah and they went back a lot of years on that one too Yeah. so again um, charitable donations that is definitely one and, and it has to be from a recognized charity um cap- number number five um capital gains and losses you know this this one here has a lot more to do with um second properties say mm-hmm. such as a cottage of trying to find that adjusted cost base and it's not easy because quite often a lot of people have done a lot of additions a new deck a new dock um whatever you know a roof for ha- perhaps and some of these will add to your adjusted cost base and some don't mm-hmm. but the, again comes back to keeping those receipts i know andy and i've said in other shows it might be a good idea to do it electronically take pictures, take of pictures. These that's a good idea okay take a picture and save them in a file in your computer tax receipts for
2: my cottage i to think get, i've i had some on a floppy drive does that count a floppy disk. <laughs> I can't access it anymore. I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do you do?
0: How do you read that? Yeah, good point. Uh, just hold it up the your technology forehead. Technology keeps changing. It's
2: like
1: yeah. <laughs> Back to that. like I said. Back to vinyl again. And yes. So again, the, it's tricky with these, and this is where the government will audit this, and it's kind of like guilty till proven innocent. Mm-hmm. So they don't really buy it until you show them. Mm-hmm. And again, for those cottagers, um, 1994, I believe, is the year that you could uh, use that uh, capital gains exemption was a hundred thousand right. dollars and you may have had it appraised so go back to that tax year if you happen to do this and again a lot of people are forgetting that and understandably it's a lot of years ago right but uh, that's when they closed down and a lot of people got their cottages appraised so if your cottage cost thirty thousand and it was worth say a hundred thousand dollars in 1994 you got a new appraisal that moved your capital your adjusted cost base up 70 grand to 100,000. Well, that's a $70,000 difference in a capital gain Mm. when you sell that cottage. That's a lot of money. Um, So by 95, no luck. Uh, 95, but you can still go back to that 94 return Mm. and and make sure because a lot of people remember what they paid for it, Mm. but they forgot what it was appraised at 94 Mm. and you had to actually do it then Mm -hmm. and had to send in this form in 1994 with your taxes. Mm. If you didn't do it in 94, Too bad. You're back to your adjusted cost base of what you paid for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number seven, allowable business investment losses. Now, this is kind of interesting. If you're invested in or loan money to a small business corporation that has gone defunct, you may be entitled to claim an allowable business investment loss, ABIL, half of which, unlike normal capital losses, can be used to offset any type of income, not just capital gains. You should be aware that claiming an ABIL results in an automatic set of questions from the government, guaranteed. So make sure you've got supporting information handy. Okay, so it's a kind of a unique situation, but guaranteed to get an audit on it, but it will be worth it because you can claim it against any other income. Hmm. And there is three more to go. So I, I guess we can go after the break and get to those three.
0: All right, sounds good. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group. Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to all the old archive shows there and also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. As well, check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about things that will send red flags up for the tax man.
1: Yeah, the government loves these. Uh, the top 10 here, and we are down to number 7, and it's uh, tuition Tuition credits. Mm-hmm. Students should receive this T twenty two o two a slip from schools in Canada, or a property cl- completed form. There's this other T L eleven form from schools outside of Canada, and, and unfortunately, from two thousand and seventeen and later, the education and the tax book um, tax, uh, textbook credit are gone. Mm. Right, they got rid of those. But uh, you know, you have to be very careful on that. And the and the other part with students, which makes it number. Sorry, number nine, is uh, students often claim the student loan interest tax credit on loans that don't qualify mm-hmm. as personal loans for, and uh, so for student lines of credits, they have to be uh, proper loans that were from, that are approved by the government for, and, and the institution will give you the right slip so that you can deduct the interest mm-hmm. for going to school.
2: I'm surprised how many of those T20, uh, the t a no, twenty sorry. 2202. 2202 uh for the tuition credit is I, I, my daughter's been audited 4 years in a row really for that for that slip how come i don't know i think it's just a uh it's a either there's maybe if there's a high incident, there must of, be a trend, yeah, of of non non compliance in terms of exaggerating the amounts or or incorrectly reporting the amounts. But I wouldn't say. it be
0: straightforward simply because they'd have the forms it there? They know to me, where. What, yeah. what makes it any difference in any other process where know. you're submitting forms? I don't know.
2: I, I, I guess um, there are there are there's a little more complicated on that form because. You can allocate up to $5,000 of your tuition to a parent. Mm. So on the back of the form, you would sign off saying, I'm allocating. You know, I had ten thousand dollars in tuition fees. I'm allocating five thousand to my parents, and the other five thousand retaining for the student. So uh, maybe there's there's more errors, or it's prone to errors. Also, you have to d- indicate whether you are a part time student or a full time student, because that adds an additional credit to you as well. So it may, there may be mistakes in the way it's reported. You may have had more. Part time right. uh, months than you'd had full time months. So and not what is sure that? why, but it's just a, it's like obviously there must be a higher level of non compliance and yeah. something like that because people are I'm seeing that a lot.
0: Now, what does that mean for the student? What process would they have to go through for that? Because that out. could be a
2: pain. You got to dig out the form. Yeah, you've got to uh, submit submit a copy of it right. with um, with your notice of reassessment and uh, and that will probably take two or three months. Right. Wow. Yeah,
1: and, and quite often you get them on the. Uh the internet with, mm-hmm. the, with the school you're dealing yes. with, so I know my son uh, went to Western, and we'd be tracking down that form, and sure enough, we would get it, and he would send it to me. And same with my daughter. This is always this is really a sensory reality, a reality for the kids. It's like, oh yeah, you we got to mm. get these tax forms. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, They're in the real world here. We've yeah. got to get these slips. The government doesn't really care on the kind of the education yeah.
2: kind of feeling. It's your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: a t- big responsibility. And it's funny enough, the student loan interest, my daughter got audited about that last year. Hmm. So it's funny. You know, These mm-hmm. these are definitely in the top 10 of things that the government checks on because I guess there's so many mistakes in these areas that uh, they, they want to see the proof. Wow. And they can't seem to present a lot of it. So they're... They don't want to pass on that deduction. I think
2: I'm going to paper paper file her return this year. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know if they're going to check on these ones, you might as well just send the slip with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but unfortunately, what
0: happens when you do that? When you say, you know what, I'm avoiding all it. you can. Oh, I mean, you get, or do they, they get?
2: They're gonna, they're
0: gonna audit you like crazy. You're gonna get. No,
2: I'm just kidding. No, I mean, if <laughs> no, you I'm send serious.
0: them too much information, what do they? Do they get ticked that you're sending them too much? We don't I, need that. I wonder. I'm not I, going through this. That is
2: a concern because 90 percent of people are filing with electronically. Now. Yeah, like it's the vast majority. Um, so it's not all there. So there, all that info. So when you send in paper, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm sure somebody's going, Yeah. I mean, I have to go through all this. Exactly. And, if you're yeah, the person that has yeah, to process yeah. this. Uh, We're going to teach you a lesson. Exactly. <laughs> Never send us paper again. Exactly.
1: <laughs> well, and, and really the tax preparers, once you do more than this, yes. uh, I think it's five returns, whatever the number is, they have no choice but to send it electronically. Yeah. Right. So if you're just doing your own, yeah, you can do it by paper. But honestly, the government really wants you to go electronically. Yeah, sure. But when you know that these are the top 10 and you know that there's a over a, a deduction that's not the norm for you, you may want to consider sending it by paper because you're going to be asked for it anyway. Right.
0: And is most of this stuff done by just you sending stuff in or do they actually drag you in? You've heard oh, such no. horror stories no. about audits.
1: You can just send it in. Mm-hmm. There's no big deal. In fact, it's kind of interesting. It was about three years ago where I was asked for something, but I paper filed. Mm-hmm. And, I said, and I said, that was actually in yeah. with all my receipts. Yeah, because Do your homework. I, I had it. So check Perfect. it out. And I got a reply back, so oh, there. yes, I see it now. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Missy. <laughs> maybe you were one of those people that sent too much information. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Probably did. And and as the number 10 of all these, of the top 10 things that taxpayers, taxmen may question, is your province of residence interesting enough? Because mm. it's where you are resident as of December 31st mm. of that year. So if you lived in Ontario right till December 15th and then you said, I'm, I'm moving to BC, and you packed, sold your house, moved there that year, so December 31st, you're now living in BC, you are a BC resident. No, good place to move to because they have the lowest tax rate right now.
2: I mm. thought Nunavut was lower.
1: Oh yeah, okay, absolutely. <laughs> but nobody wants so, to move there. I've got an apartment
0: in Nunavut. But the vegetables are very expensive.
1: They'll <laughs> <laughs> make up al- other places. But this was a, a big deal um, not long ago when Alberta had by far the lowest marginal tax bracket. In yeah. fact, theirs was about right, 10% lower right. than Ontario's. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of people that seemed to move near the end of the year. Sure to Alberta, yeah. just so that they could move back the following year. Hmm. So the government questions that and they did an audit and make sure that they're actually physically moved. Right. And so this is a question of when there's a tax benefit to you to move provinces. So those are the top 10 and uh, you know I'm sure there's a lot of others. But this will get you thinking anyway.
2: <laughs> that'll 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 at least hopefully keep keep you, you honest. Keep yeah. you <laughs> honest, but <laughs> keep you out of the audit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, tax refunds, right? So now we're at the point where they've accepted your return, mm-hmm. and you're getting money back. And uh, what percentage of people do you think get a refund?
0: Okay, I'm going to guess it's lower than uh, I usually guess. I'll say twenty um, percent.
2: Thirty-five. 57 and a half percent oh, you should have, got your original. Should have gone here originally yeah. <laughs> we we're both too low 57 and a half percent get a refund and 22.4 percent have a balance owing and 20 percent are even wow pretty much no not no, yeah. no nothing yeah. owing nothing yeah. have
1: you ever been even Andy
2: well, I could see how you could do and it. And he's even every year. What I are you talking about? I have to pay a little mm-hmm. bit every year because that way I'm not loaning them any money. Yes. Yeah. So I'm definitely in part of the 22.4% balance yeah. owing. And, by choice. Um, by choice. But you could certainly manipulate your RSP contribution to bring you right down to zero. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no, Nothing owing, nothing, uh, That's a good nothing point. be paid. Yep. But, um, the, and the average refund... The average refund is 1795. dollars I was going to guess 1500. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: didn't, but Andy didn't ask you to guess this time. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't get you don't get that.
2: <laughs> no points for that. Uh, um so, what do you do with your refund, right? And I know there's some obvious things you're going to say. Oh, you're going to tell us to pay down debt, and hmm. uh, and of course, yeah, here we go, Andy. <laughs> yeah, all the stuff that's really fun, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know. Every once in a while, somebody will get a really large refund, mm-hmm. right? And it could be um, a, a number of factors. If you maybe you you were in a high-paying job and then you lost the job, they were obviously were withholding a lot of tax based on you working for the entire year. Mm. But if you only worked for six months and then your income was dropped in half, you might you're probably going to end up with a you know it could be five grand, ten. Yeah. It could be a lot of money coming back. Or maybe it's the first time you've uh, filed it for the disability tax credit, and you get another larger chunk. So there's a whole number of reasons why you might. But um, with that large one, now you've got a lot of options available to it. And certainly the first thing to do is sort of I think park it, put it in something that's liquid where you can get at it, and then you've got some choices in terms mm-hmm. of what to do. With smaller amounts, you know, so if we're talking like under 500 bucks. You know, there's I always think 50 50 have some fun with some of it take 250 bucks maybe go out for a special uh for maybe a weekend or an Mm -hmm. overnight or somewhere and then uh put the other half into into uh paying down debt Mm -hmm. right if you have debt if you don't have debt then a tfsa there's all kinds of options so usually the 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 immediate thing i think about um paying down debts then obviously uh saving if you're still saving or accumulating for retirement look at an RRSP contribution um and contributing to the tax-free savings account, and fifty-five hundred dollars is the limit as of January first, twenty eighteen, and you can have up to fifty-seven thousand five hundred bucks mm-hmm. into your or into your TFSA plan uh, if you haven't already maximized it. So, um, the thing about the TFSA, the contributions are not tax deductible, but anything that you earn inside the TFSA, any growth or withdrawals, are all tax-free, and um, I think when you're investing it, then you want to think about, well, what's my strategy around investing it? So whether it's a TFSA or your RRSP, you've got to think about, is it going to be a long-term investment? Is mm-hmm. it going to be a short-term investment? Because there's all kinds of options. And certainly, um, you know, you would consider uh, holding stocks or equities as a long-term investment. You might be holding a, a mutual fund that invests in stocks or, or, uh, or bonds as well. And often from a planning standpoint, we want to think about if you've got money earning interest income uh, that you're going to pay tax on, sheltering that inside your RRSP makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because you won't lose any ground because of taxation. Or your TFSA. Or your TFSA as well, exactly. Exactly. Whereas if you've got investments that are earning capital gains, which are the lowest taxed or even dividends, having that investment outside of your TFSA or RRSP makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So often we look at how do you have your investment structured within your RRSPs, TFSAs versus outside of your RRSP and TFSA.
1: And for those that are, are on the cusp of losing their old, part of their old age security because of the clawback, so their income's pushing around 75000 and they love dividend income. I know we may have talked about this before, but that dividend gross-up is about 38%. So if you had 10000 in dividends, dividend income, then the gross-up would be about $3,800. Well, that's added to your net income. And that's what the old-age security looks at, is your net income. So you're actually losing part of your old-age security on money you didn't even receive. Yeah. You only received the 10000 but it shows up thirteen thousand eight hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and so that thirty eight hundred dollars um, works out to about five hundred dollars of old age security you don't get because of this gross up. Right. So another great, <clears throat> s- great spot for dividend type funds. If you're near that kind, of, if you're in that situation, would have been again would be the tax free savings account. Yeah. Start moving those dividend producing investments over your TFSA. So if you've got a husband and wife. Um both with uh, you know, call it fifty seven thousand five hundred of TFSA room in total, lifetime right now. So there's one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars of dividend producing investments. Well, at three percent, there's about thirty five hundred dollars of dividend income approximately, or thirty two hundred dollars of dividend income that you would far better be invested inside the TFSA mm-hmm. and not getting that gross up. and that would that may keep you under that seventy five thousand and allowing you to get your full old age security.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot of retirees are um, are worried about old age security clawback, and, yeah. and that they, the dividends can often contribute or exacerbate that.
1: It's kind of a bragging right in a way, though, really. <laughs> it always is, Oh, you know, that old age security clawback, it's killing me. You're really what you're saying is you're making over 75000 a year. All right. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. But there is ways to avoid it, and just by moving your investments differently, you can probably get your full <laughs> old age security. Um, or even more important is by moving your is by taking a big hit one year and then getting it the other year. Hmm. So you can plan your income that you may get it every other year instead of losing the old age security every year.
0: So when your senior friend brags about that, it's that's when you suggest to them they need a better financial planner. Yeah, yes, got <laughs> there's got to be a solution.
2: Exactly. Um, so the other and we're talking about adding money to TFSA's as for your tax refund to a TFSA. And in the same vein, really, it's about building up an emergency fund, too. It's too often, you know, we're hearing people are just on the cusp, you know, mm-hmm. either living paycheck to paycheck or feeling very vulnerable in case uh, um, some, you know, expense came along that was unanticipated. And um, so that the emergency fund can be your TFSA. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to think about in this situation is creating two separate TFSAs. So if, this, if you're getting a $1,500 tax refund, open up a new TFSA, put all 1,500 in it. Uh, there are all kinds of teaser rates out there that you might be able to get 2%, 2.5% mm-hmm. for 90 days. You'll earn a bit of interest. But that TFSA you know in your head is now earmarked for an emergency. If you don't need it, then there might be some flexibility to do something else with it. Uh, But if you do need it, it's there. Now, you can continue to build the rest of your your other TFSA with a more aggressive uh, stance, including stocks, as we were talking about, but something with higher growth potential for the long term. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to have multiple plans. You just can't exceed the total limit. And uh, and I like that idea because that gives you – it it sort of separates and divides – so that the TFSA is not too accessible because mm-hmm. if it's all in one pot, it's you know where do you stop? Yeah. You can take as much as you want. Um, kids' education, uh, you know, it, it's such a critical investment over time. So if you're not maximizing the TFs, or sorry, you're not maximizing the RESP every year, then using that tax refund to put into the RRSP or, it's, mm-hmm. or RESP, sorry, is a fantastic option. And it, um, and I think you. You know, it's peace of mind as an individual because you know it's coming Mm -hmm. at some point. And if you haven't prepared or you're nervous that you haven't put enough aside for the kid's education, then using that tax refund every year is a great way to do it. Everything that you put in gets a 20% bonus, a grant. And on top of that, depending on your income, you can get additional education savings grants on the first 500 of another 100 bucks. So it doesn't take very long before that thing starts to build up quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess... Finally, you know, the question is do you really need a refund? (laughs) And that that comes back to my argument you You overpaid. I know I did. (laughs) You've overpaid. It's so difficult year. for you to yeah. say, I, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, honestly, you might want to consider uh, reducing what's being withheld at source and using that money effectively every month throughout the year.
0: There you go. That's the discipline. <laughs> uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They'll return your call and you can listen to old archive shows or at Ask a Question at the website andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Uh, continuing on, how to increase your retirement balance, which you've got to spend?
1: Yeah. No, the overall asset sheet. Mm. How, how to And, and how to keep it maybe longer growing. Mm -hmm. Because as we talked about many times, people are living longer. That longevity risk and to have people live to 90 is not a big deal anymore. And you got to make sure your assets last that long because people don't want to decrease their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And certainly we didn't retire to do that. That was never in the commercial they saw, right? And we talked about last week about the four stages of retirement. And this is kind of like, okay, here's another way of that stage of Maybe you want to keep working. Mm -hmm. One way to avoid those stages is keep working. Yeah, really. (laughs) Stay away from it. But you may not want to work full time. So if you worked part time for five more years and found something you really enjoyed doing. So with those four stages, one was reinventing yourself. Well, why don't you reinvent yourself right away? Go right to a different type of work. Something you enjoy doing. It, It may be something simple as being the starter of a golf course. Mm-hmm. You know, you love golf, mm-hmm. you're, you're an accountant, but you know your passion is golf and I'm going to do that. And uh, not to mention, you're, usually you usually get your golf fees reduced or free. Mm-hmm. So there comes that bill and you might make some money on top of that. And there, that's an increase. So it's a double whammy in that. You decrease your expenses, increase your income. So let's, in a, in a perfect scenario here, uh, let's say you work part-time, you made 20,000 a year. You still got tons of holidays, you got more time than you know what to do with, but you're making 20,000 a year part-time, and your pensions are about 25,000. So you've got an income of $45,000 that keeps your income at that 20% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. So you're not paying a lot of tax on this 20 grand, and you're not taking this 20,000 out of your investments now. It allows your investments to keep growing. So you pay 20% tax, that's $4,000, and uh, in tax. So you net $16,000. That's adding $1,333 a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you're, let's say you had a $400,000 portfolio at 5% is 20 grand a year. So five years later, had you not had that part-time job and you just took out the 5% every year, you'd still have the 400,000. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have grown a bit. Yeah. If you now had this part-time job, you don't have to take any income from it. So now your four hundred thousand would grow f- compounded at five percent would actually grow to five hundred and ten thousand dollars. So here we are. You retired at say sixty-two, which is the average. You're now sixty-seven, and instead of having four hundred thousand, you now got five hundred ten thousand mm-hmm. at five percent. That works out to twenty-five thousand five hundred a year, and even after tax, it works out to an extra seventeen hundred a month. So you now you've increased your income. You're fully retired now. You're not even working part-time. You've increased your income by 28% by working part-time for five years. That's, that's a significant difference. And quite frankly, a lot of people find value. They don't go through, you still get to have lots of holidays. Mm-hmm. You often don't suffer that going into the abyss stage yeah. because they, they feel they're, they're adding value. And they're making a little bit of money. That always makes people, people good. They don't have to watch as much and they're allowing their investments to grow. So there's one way. The second way, and this is starting to be a little bit more common now, is why don't you rent out your house? And with Airbnb and uh, rent by owner websites out there now, people are saying, you know what, I'm gonna go to Portugal, which is actually one of the less expensive Mm -hmm. um, European vacations. I'm gonna go there for three months and I'm gonna go have a great life there. And, but really what you've done though, is you've left an asset. Sitting there empty, that isn't generating income. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like it, 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 this is why it's becoming more popular. People are looking at dead assets, and whether let's say I have an RV, well, I guess I could rent that RV out. Yeah. Okay, I got uh, you know, and and same with um, you know the taxi services, um, Uber mm-hmm. thing. I can go use my car and use it to make money. Yeah. But why not let your house earn a little bit of money? So they rent their house out, and I just actually spoke to a client, they're renting a house instead of buying right now, and they're renting at 2,500 a month. So let's say you can rent out your house for 2,500 a month. This is fully furnished, it's even a better deal. And that would generate $7,500 over a course of the three months. Mm -hmm. So you're paying, say $2,500 a month over in Portugal, which I guess would pay you, get you quite a nice place. And you're now renting your place at 2,500 a month, which they'd be ecstatic to pay that. And so it's a good, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. And so after tax, you end up with $6,000 a year in your pocket, which is like $500 a month. Well, that's practically your old age security check. Hmm. Yeah. Okay? People are getting about 600 a month in old age security. and They love that check. Well, if you just used your house, cause you're now on vacation, you're in that vacation mode, stage one of your retirement. Why not use your house? So I looked at this. If you did this for 10 years, you would end up in your pocket $60,000 after tax. And because of this, your, your portfolio, in that same example with 400000 your portfolio would be $94,000 higher hmm. in 10 years. And these are just, I know they're, they're, you have to be a little bit organized. Yeah. Okay, you may, you have to be, you know, whether you're working longer or renting out an asset, you have to look at it a bit more. Yeah, you know, I know there's some risks. You got to get the right tenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have to scrutinize them. But to the most part, you know, you, I don't hear that many horror stories with Airbnb. Yeah, I find you know a lot of people are using that service. And if you rent for a longer term, you can have your family check on check up on sure. your house periodically, see if it's okay. You know, once a week. They were going to do that anyway if you're on vacation.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah.
1: just to make the insurance so you didn't have a leak and and a flood or etc. So. There's two examples of preserving your wealth and actually increasing your wealth during retirement.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. You can, uh, as well, Go to the website, andyanddon.com. There you will find old archive shows and as well can ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Pension decisions.
2: Pensions. So um, when we're, when Don and I are creating a financial plan or retirement plan for somebody, one of the key components, if they have a pension is understanding what are the options around that plan? How are we going to integrate that into your retirement plan? And uh, how should you structure that pension in terms of the choices you have? And there's, so there's a lot of information coming at you and most employers are providing access. They're either, you either get an annual statement, which comes at various times of the right. year. So sometimes they'll meet with us and their statement is a year old. Mm-hmm. And so we encourage people just, you know, go online and, uh, if you can print a current scenario, mm-hmm. that would be great. We'll understand what it is. And also too, there's a formula which every defined benefit pension plan has that tells you how much you're going to get based on years of service, based on your uh, your average five years or your best five years. So there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole range of scenarios that they mm-hmm. use to calculate what your benefit's going to be. And so it, I, I think there's sort of six things that we think about when we're looking at pensions. And the first one is deciding when your pension payments will begin. So part of that statement will tell you your earliest unreduced pension date. Mm -hmm. So that would be the date. And often there's like an 85 factor or a 90 factor, which is your years of service, plus the number of years you've been in the plan combined, which would bring you to that, that the maximum factor, which means you don't, you end up with an unreduced pension. In other words, you're going to get the full pension. There's also a minimum service amount too. So if you've only been there for 10 years, let's say you can still get a pension because you've had a certain minimum amount of service as well. So deciding when to take your pension is going to be key. And the other part is typically would be a bridging benefit. And a bridging benefit is even if you do start early, let's say your normal retirement age uh, for your factor is age 65, if you want to start at 60, you're going to have a reduced pension, and it'll be a percentage per month or per, per year uh, mm-hmm. that you start early. And um, and a lot of times you'll be able to go online and get an estimate of what that will look like too. They'll be able to print you out a, a, a what-if scenario. So the bridging benefit is nice because it offsets that reduction by taking it early, and, uh, and then it would stop once you reach age 65, the mm-hmm. normal retirement date. So that's number one. Number two is deciding on whether or not your pension benefits transfer to your spouse when you die. And usually when you're setting up, you're electing to take your pension, you can decide to receive a life-only pension. So that means it ends when you die. And in this case, you're going to get a much higher payout because the pension plan is not having to factor in a continuing payment to your spouse. Yeah. And, um, uh, and you would almost always have to have to have your spouse sign a waiver that they understand that they're not going to be entitled to anything at your death. Um, Now, under that scenario, the one thing that we might explore is by that, with getting that higher payout, you you could take a portion of that if your health was good and buy yourself a life insurance policy with that additional amount. So instead of taking a 60% payout so that it can continues to your wife, uh, 60%, Um, your spouse, that you would take 100%, you get a much higher payout, but you might take 10% of that to pay for an insurance policy. So when you die, your spouse receives a lump sum. And that can be a cost-effective thing. You just have to run the numbers, and it depends on your health as well. Um, Selecting the joint and last survivor means that the monthly benefit will be lower, as I said, but it will continue on to your spouse. But if your spouse has uh, their own pension, and, or maybe they've built up, you know, their RRSP plans, they've got non registered assets, or maybe they already have adequate insurance, you have already have adequate insurance coverage. That life only option, where you get the, a higher payout, might be something to consider, and we will run those options for you. Number three would be choosing the survivor benefit and that survivor benefit is the standard survivor benefit is 60% but like buying anything there are options mm-hmm. you know you've got if you want to have a higher payout you could have a 100% survivor benefit meaning that if you die your pension doesn't change at all it right. just rolls over to your spouse and they continue to get the same amount every month But typically 60% would be the standard, followed by, you know, maybe 66 and two-thirds, 75% or 100% would be an option as well. And uh, number four would be, do you have the option to receive a pension benefit for a guaranteed number of payments? So oftentimes when you start your pension, they will say during the first 10 years, if you die, your spouse will get a lump sum payment you know, 10 years worth. And so typically, again, you would get a a lower monthly pension to receive these guarantees, but typically the minimum term might be five years, 10 years, or 15 years. So if you do die prematurely, there's a payout to your spouse. Um, number five: Does your plan have CPP and OAS or OAS integration option? And basically, again, this is sort of like what that bridging benefit accomplishes: is that with you in- when your pension is integrated with Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security, it means that you can start it early. They will receive a you receive a bridge benefit that is the equivalent of what you would receive from Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security. And that allows you then to defer receiving your CPP. Right. Uh, but then it's that, stop, that amount stops once you turn 65. And finally, the last option is, do you have the option to commute the value of your pension to a locked-in account? So in this case, you're saying, I don't want the monthly pension. I want to know how much in a lump sum can I receive, and I'm going to transfer that to my own locked-in RSP, and I'm going to handle how I structure my payouts as well. That's a complicated decision. That part, you definitely need to seek some professional advice to make sure you're you're making the right choice.
0: We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there, as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button, or you can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week.
2: Monday's your tax deadline. Don't forget.